This show is brought to you by The North Face. Now, The North Face have been my sponsors for the last eight or nine years, and I'm really proud to be involved with this fantastic outdoor brand. Now, they've been in the outdoor industry for over 50 years, and they are the premier supplier of authentic, innovative, and technologically advanced exploration apparel. For your footwear, equipment, accessories, they've got the best stuff. Now, their lightweight and weather-resistant flight series running gear is my absolute favorite. So, if if you're into trail running, if you're into desert running, if you're into just exploring our mountains, then these, this is the go-to gear. And it's designed to endure, engineered to help you through the heat, through heavy downpours, or whatever else comes your way so that you can run no matter what, every day, any weather, any terrain, and never stop exploring. If you'd like to check out their whole range, go to thenorthface.co.nz. <laughs> Welcome, Welcome to Pushing the Limits, the podcast that gets deep into the psyche of extraordinary achievers across all genres, cutting to the chase to unlock the secrets of their success, their achievement, philosophies, and motivations. Join us in the quest to find out what makes the movers and shakers of our world tick and what gems and wisdom we can learn from them. Now, over to your host, Lisa Tamati. Hi everybody, it's Lisa Tamati here at Pushing the Limits and thank you very much for tuning in once again. It's always an absolute pleasure for me to have you join me on the show and if you're a returning listener, I really appreciate your loyalty. You know, these podcasts are a labour of love and it, you know, it takes a lot of time and effort to, to do all this and I'm a very non-technical person so it drives me absolutely insane but what I do love is when I get feedback from you guys, when I get nice ratings and reviews, that's always really cool so if you could... Um, be so kind as to go over onto iTunes and, and, and rate the show. Give us a five-star rating, please. That would be fantastic. It also helps the show get more exposure and all that sort of good stuff. So really appreciate you for doing that. Um, today, I've um, got a, a wonderful guest. And as you guys will know who have listened to some of the past, uh, not all of the last episodes, but quite a number, we've had some inspirational uh, woman athletes on. And today we've got yet another one, but this one's a Kiwi lady. And she's got a very interesting story um, and been through some hard times in her life and found running to be a part of the answer for her and now she's sharing that with others. So welcome to the show, Marie Leaf. Hi Marie, how are you doing? Hi, good, great. Excited <laughs> to be here. I was on Marie's Facebook page. We did a Facebook Live not so long ago, eh? When you were yes. launching... Um, now, Marie um, runs a group called Girls Who Run New Zealand, and she's got a, a lovely Facebook page that um, girls listening out there, you must go and join Marie's group and um, find out what she's all about and all her coaching and so on. And so we're both run coaches, and we're both in, in, in slightly different areas, and we've got slightly different um, people that we work with. Um, but we love, yeah, we're, we're just both, both passionate about getting people into running, aren't we, Marie? And, yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, and I think that's um, the great thing is that, you know, at the end of the day, we're both passionate about the same thing. No matter um, what we're coaching or how different our different styles, we're, we're just after the same goal. So that's pretty cool. Yeah. That's and what I love. You know what I think about run coaching and stuff? There is enough room out there for so many different types of coaches for different types of people, you know. Uh, for example, at Running Hot Coaching, we don't really work with the, the elite end of the field. Uh, we do maybe in the ultra sense, but not in the, say, marathon sense or whatever, because, you know, that, that's a different type of coaching. And, um, you know, I really, really enjoy uh, working with people that aren't natural athletes, that have a little bit of a struggle, who maybe have some confidence issues and, and that sort of thing. And that's sort of you know, the area that we've specialised in. And I know that you really love working with women and women who've got a similar journey perhaps to what you've been through and you really relate to them in that way. And so I think it's really cool that we all have different areas that we can still teach and, and bring our experience to bear. But Marie, let's go back into your story a little bit. Now, firstly, where did you, where do you come from? Where, where did you grow up and, and uh, your background and your parents and things like that? Okay, so I'm... Um, I was born in Christchurch in 1975, um, and I was with um, my birth mother for two years, and then um, I was adopted out when I was two. 
Mm-hmm. And uh, so my birth parents adopted me in Christchurch and then we moved um, from there to Wellington, to Auckland, to Wellington, to Auckland, quite a bit of moving around yep. um, with my father's job. And then basically settled in West Auckland. So I went to Calston Girls, and uh, so I'm a Westie at heart. <laughs> up in West Auckland, not ashamed to say it. Um, and it was really great. And and then moved to the North Shore, um, where I, when I started working and doing all that in Auckland. And then um, I, I met my husband and moved up to Whangaparoa. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's north of Auckland. So uh, that's West. Nice We've place. been for a while. It's, it's stunning, you know, surrounded by beaches, we're on the coast, and um, just love living here. Yeah, yeah. I've, he- I've heard some nice things. I've never actually gotten that to, to there, but I've heard lots of nice things about Whangaparo. So, yeah. yeah, you're living in a beautiful part of New Zealand rather than stuck out yeah. West, West Auckland. <laughs> yeah, the only thing is, though, it's hilly everywhere. So, when you go out for a run, you're always challenged with hills. Yeah, that's a so. good thing. That's a good thing. Oh, yeah, yeah, no, that's why I tell my clients anyway. Yeah, it doesn't feel like it at the time, but it's a good thing. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, so, Marie, yeah, um, now you've, how long have you been running for? Um, how many years have you, know, you been doing this, been on your sort of running journey in your career? Uh, six years. Six years. But you, yeah. weren't on, you, know, you weren't born a natural runner? No, right? no, absolutely not. I was the girl who would... When it came to cross country at school, I'd hide in the bush and wait till they came round again and then finish. Uh, you know, it's funny how, you know, you always think, well, I thought that running was just the, the worst thing you could ever do and put yourself through. Uh, and then now I do it for a living. You know, I make my thing off it and I inspire other girls and I, I'm doing run every day at the moment, so I'm always out there um, running. But it definitely hasn't been in my life until the last six years. So I guess, um, yeah, the, the later 30s, I got into running. Yep. Um, yeah, so it's still quite new to me. Six years is not really a long time. Not, not in the well, – it is and it isn't. It feels like a long time when you've been doing it. But, yeah, there's a lot to, to, to learn. So it's funny, you know, there's so many of the, the, the ladies that I've had on my podcast recently, and, and a lot of them are, you know, crazy ultramarathon runners and things. Um, a lot of them hated running at school. A lot of them were absolutely not athletic. Um, you know, I had um, uh, Heather Hawkins on just recently who's written Adventurous Spirit, and she had cancer at 41 and then decided at 47, like she'd got through the cancer and, and, and then went, hello, life's short, I better do something, I better get fit. And at 47 started, and now she's 52, I think she is. She's uh, done all these crazy ultramarathon races, and that's all within, you know, like four or five years, you know. So it can completely turn your life around no matter what stage you're in. But, um, Marie, let's go back to, because I know a little bit about your story and your background. Um, you had some, some issues with fertility and, and um, having kids, and you've, you've got kids now. But tell us, tell us that whole story and journey and why that's sort of relevant to who you are today. Yeah, absolutely, Part of my day and why I changed my life around towards running. So, um, I guess, yeah, in a, in a nutshell, because there's so much involved, mm. um, it was uh, around uh, 10 years ago now. I had um, I already had my son, Corey, mm-hmm. and I had a daughter, Cheyenne. So, they were great, healthy little kids. Um, and my husband was, I was going to turn 30, and I thought, I really, really want to get have a third child, mm-hmm. and I really want to do this. By the time I'm 30, you know, perfect world, um, blind <laughs> to the things that can happen. Um, because my two, my two kids were, they were born healthy. There was nothing wrong. Everything went to plan. Uh, so we thought, okay, let's go and have our third child and be done. Uh, so I had that thought and dream in my head. So. Um, uh, I got pregnant, never, I didn't have a problem getting pregnant, so that was, as soon as we decided that was it, we were off. Um, and then I, I fell pregnant, and I um, unfortunately got to, uh, with um, Holly, I got to 22 weeks gestation, wow. and then into labour. Wow. And of course I was, uh, I was unsure of um, what was going on, it kind of, Felt a little bit at labour pains, but because I hadn't been through it, I just thought, oh, it's just, you know, I can ring the midwife, 
she'll give me something and then we'll be fine. Anyway, um, it, it just progressed and then I ended up in uh, North Shore Hospital and gave birth to Holly, who was um, 22 weeks gestation. So, um, you know, and, and I was so um, naive to, to what was happening to me. I thought that even at 22 weeks gestation, she would come out. And, you know, you think of the movies where um, the, in the movies they rush the baby in and, and they ventilate it and then it's it's okay. Well, I sort of had that in my head, but the whole way through the, the midwives were not saying a lot to me. They were being very quiet. And in the end I said, well, when she comes out – where's the machinery that you're going to resuscitate her with? And the nurse said, well, um, well, she's too young. I don't think she'll, you know, live and we probably won't try unless she's over 24 weeks gestation. Wow. So, um, you know, the, the, the penny dropped for me and my husband and I was still in quite a bit of shock. So I gave birth to her and she did move. But, um, yeah, we, we kind of knew our heart that she was gone. So um, that was my oh, my shocking. first um, my first experience of child loss, yeah. baby loss, and uh, because I was over twenty weeks gestation, I was put in the maternity ward uh, or the birthing um, suite, sorry, with yes. other women giving birth around yeah. me. Yes, yeah. of course, made made it very tough because yes. you had other women and um, in labour, and then you hear the screams of a, a live baby, and yeah. when you're up there with with your um, baby who passed away. So uh, that that was, yeah, quite, quite a shock um, for us. Um, I'm a bit of a... a what? Sorry. So, I didn't yeah, I, like, I, I, I need to fix things yeah. um, <laughs> when I'm broken. So it was back to the doctor uh, pretty soon after, what can we do? They said, well, it was... It was a, um, you've already got two live children. It's a freak thing. Go and get pregnant again. Yep. That's what we did. And I fell pregnant with Liam very shortly afterwards. I think I might have had one period and then I was pregnant again. Um, so, you know, no specialist care. They thought everything was fine. You know, go ahead. Um, pregnancy. I got to 19 and a half weeks gestation with Liam. Same thing. Uh, but this time my waters did break. Wow. Because I sat under the weight. It's considered a late miscarriage, yep. which is quite sad in itself too. Yep. So it's because of that, I was put in the gynae ward to deliver lamb. So two completely different experiences because of where they sat. Because of three weeks. Set. Yeah. So with, with lamb, um, it was an embedded thing in the gynae ward because you, I didn't have a midwife there. Um, and... It just felt like it felt so um, un impersonal and yeah, yeah, yeah. sterile it's and a very harsh environment. Yeah, I've been, been there too. Yeah, yeah, as you know. Um, so I gave birth to Liam, and by that stage, of course, we knew that there was no chance. If he was nineteen, yeah, no chance. Um, and then, so we got specialist care after that. We got taken in by North Shore Hospital, um, who saw our case, and, and so we got cared uh, for through them with the next pregnancy. So I, I got a few things different. I got a stitch put in, just um, a cervical stitch, just a basic one, and I was on um, some medication leading up to the um, next baby being born. And then we uh, got pregnant, went through North Shore Hospital again, and I don't know if we're allowed to say hospitals, but yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yes. hospital. and um, got to yeah, 24 weeks gestation with Katie. Oh, you're kidding yeah. me, man. So it, was, it was living, reliving it over and over again. I went into labour and... It was a little bit different this time because I was 24 weeks that they could actually do something. And that's what they did. So I gave birth to Katie and she was alive and they uh, did everything they could. So she spent, uh, she then moved to NICU in Auckland Hospital and that's where I 
state. Um, we nursed Katie through, you know, quite a few ups and downs, as you can imagine, when they're born at that gestation. Yeah. They don't have an immune system. No, they don't have their lungs and their developed body parts and all the real vital organs they're not developed so it was always kind of up and down with her but it was never um like one time she she did get an infection so they were alert um but she she pulled through and we got to the point where she was nearly off oxygen yeah which wow. yep. a big uh, milestone and we were extremely excited and nervous so she was just about off oxygen, and I just got the call one day, and Kate's not looking well. Her tummy's extended. Uh, you need to come in. So I arrived at the hospital because I had been released from hospital. I arrived at the hospital, and there was a team of doctors around her bedside, and I was ushered out. So it was, yeah, it was just, it was heart breaking um so she, what she had got was a um a disease called neck I, I can't remember what the full name of it is but it's uh, where the bowel starts to die oh. um, and so the doctors went in did surgery took out quite a decent chunk of her bowel and said that she needs to recover from this if she recovers you know it will be okay yep. um and then Two days later, uh, her um, her results weren't very good. So they said, hey, um, we need to go on again. She's not doing well. So we said, yes, go on, do what you need to do. They went in. The doctors came out uh, uh, all 20 minutes later, and we knew that was a really bad sign. Um, they hadn't even been in there for yeah. long, and they were coming out. Enough time to do it, yeah. Yeah, pulled Stefan and me into the family room, which no one likes to go into at NICU, and said um, that most of the bowel would need to be taken out. Uh, you do have an option. You have the option that we take it all out, and she then has to be on um, eating through a tube. She'd be, you know, for a lot of her life. And she would have a shit life, basically. Um, and as much as we yearned for that third child, we turned to our specialist and said, well, what do you think? And he said, he just sort of said, well, I think you know the answer. Um, so we, without, yeah, yeah we just went so in and looked at each other and thought, yeah, we need to, we need to stop it. So we did. And we um, we made that decision to turn her stuff her life. Yeah, so hardest decision for parents life. to make is Absolutely. to um, is is that sort of that sort of decision. Uh, an, and, unimaginable, yes. pain, Marie. Unimaginable. Yes. Yeah, you, you have to um, you have to live with it. And Oh, and, and, yeah, that was just that, you know, that picture of, of having it all, all the, the life spot turned off and then, you know, she's oh. walking, put in her arms and then you're in the family room, something, you know, her while she's dying um, and and all these emotions going in the room, your husband's dealing with it in a different way. You're, you know, we had our two live children that we wanted the apartment, the whole process. So they were in there, and then you've got your family, rest of your family outside, and Ugh. yeah, it was, um, it was just devastating. Yeah. So, so and, and the third, the third baby to lose the third in a row. Yes, you know. Yeah, and and you know, um, because I went into and I worked with other families who were losing children or had lost children, you don't like to um, categorise your uh, grief and your, you know, your babies and what gestation they passed away at and all that. No. But for us, it was by far um, difficult for us with Katie because we had changed her nappies for yes. 
six weeks, we had Nurse to we, we'd had that opportunity to be parents in her life while she was living. Yep. Um, so, yeah, it yeah, was... That was by far the worst, yeah. It was, yeah, it was, it was pretty tough. And, and our children, had, our living children, had got to know her and hold her and, and everything. So um, then, then after that, we actually stopped and had quite a break. Um, well, people, people that would say... Woman, man, to, 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 you know, just to keep going because, you, yeah. you know... You know. It, it was it, it was tough because we did have people that said a lot of things that um, they shouldn't have said. But now I look back, I know that those people were did care about me and they'd seen that I'd lost three children and that I was keen to keep going. So um, I can see that now. Yeah. Um, there were still things that, that were wrong as well. I'm not saying that everything... You know, it's daisies. A very, it's but, a very uh, personal situation, isn't it? it it's only yeah. up to you. It's really a, a, a real, real personal, and nobody really should say anything. <laughs> you know, like you have to make your own decisions. Your emotions are so heightened at that point that people could say, "Look at you the wrong way," and you will take it as an insult. Yes. Uh, so I. I we took the time, we had to take the time to actually really grieve the whole three children, you know, the whole three experiences that were so individual, but we didn't give it a, give it a chance really to yeah. um, grieve each one of those children. So unfortunately we did it all um, and we're still kind of doing it, you know. Yeah. Uh, so, and then, yeah, um, we... We gave it some time, and then we actually got help from, um, I know more help came over, but a, a specialist from the UK named Katie, of yes. all people. She came over from the UK, um, Katie Groom. She's incredible, and she saw my case. And and what it was really is that, in a, in a nutshell again, I, I, you know, there's so much involved, but she went in and had a look for herself to see what was going on, and that's yep. what it would taken. Um, and she had seen that um, through my last births, my, my first two births, sorry, that there was quite a bit of damage done. Ah, okay. Quite yes. a bit of damage done, yeah. And, um, you know, there were, there were people at fault for that damage. Yeah. Um, and one thing I would say to girls out there, that if you feel like your birth is not progressing yep. and things are not right, that you stick your hand up, then you say something, yep. um, because I mean this not, this experience is not going to happen to hopefully a lot of people, but um, it would have yeah They're it would have changed. Right, and, you know, like my my experience too with my miscarriage, which was earlier than your ones, but um, devastating because it was our last chance at the age of forty six when we've been told we wouldn't be able to have children. Um, there was a lot that was left. Uh, a lot to be desired in that process, you know, um, and, uh, you know, with the other situations that I've faced in the last few years with, with my mum and with, and with myself on another uh, ladies' problem journey, should I say, uh, have also had there some major, major issues, systemic issues, you know, like in the, in the whole care side of things where I'd say, just be super, super vigilant yourself. Do your own research. Find your own ways. Keep asking. Get second opinions. Get third opinions. Be assertive in in your own care and in your when you're looking after loved ones. Don't just sit back and take it. And, and I'll probably get criticised for saying that, but that's my experience. And that's obviously your ex similar, different but similar experiences that you really got to take the ball by the horns yourself and look into it and don't just take the first uh, answer as being the absolute uh, correct. So she, the, the, the uh, Katie, what was her name? Holmes, is it? Uh, uh, <laughs> actress. Yeah. Katie. <laughs> Katie Groom. Groom, Where did yeah. Holmes come from? Somewhere in my recesses of my mind. Um, so she, yeah, she found some damage. Does that help you then? you know, repair the problems and... and it did. So it just meant, um, what it meant was that she also uh, cleaned up a bit of, of the um, trauma yep. inside of me and then uh, that was a whole 
fraction it without. And then she actually put a stitch, um, abdominal stitch. So she actually opened my cesarean scar and went as high as she could and put that stitch in there. So not your normal cervical stitch. Wow. So she went up um, just sitting underneath my stomach. And so it was it was done pre-pregnancy. Mm-hmm. And, and then we, of course... Um, had no problem getting pregnant. Wow. Um, so lucky in that department. But. <laughs> I, I, and then we were on, um, of course, you know, 24-7 yeah. <laughs> um, a guard watch. Yeah. A lot of visits to the hospital. I, um, you know, was told to lose weight. Uh, I didn't. I didn't really lose weight. And, uh, you know, that's, I just, I've been through so much. Yeah. And, Yes. yes, I was very, very overweight. I was, uh, I was over getting over a hundred kg. Yep. But I, I just didn't, didn't lose weight. I didn't want to. I didn't make any fit. I just thought that I could do this, even though Katie was saying you do need weight. I didn't. Yep. And then got got pregnant, and of course that was, um, yes, yeah, such a long journey. And I did go into uh, labour early, but it was. 34 weeks gestation, which is extremely viable. You go over something like 28 weeks now, and it's a viable chances, pregnancy. Wow, chances are um, so different. Wow. So I knew, I knew at 34 weeks that she would be fine. Uh, went in, had an emergency cesarean, and then now we have Amelia, who is uh, a beautiful seven-year-old, vivacious, gorgeous, <laughs> wonderful girl. Uh, and you got your three you know, it's an incredible, incredible journey um, that in, in a lot of ways I wish I didn't have to go on. In a lot of ways I'm so thankful that I have. It's hard to look at it in such a positive light. Like, yes, it has changed me. It's um, I'm healthier. I, I, I'm more compassionate. I'm empathetic. I yep. have done so much with it, but... Then you still got the loss. Yeah, you know? absolutely. And you lost three children who never got to, to have a, a life, and that will never be made okay. No. That will never no. be made okay. So you know, like, you, but I applaud you though for looking at the the positives anyway. You know, like in every situation that you're facing in life. I mean, I often you know think about the situation with Mum. You know, well, I know where we've gotten to now, and I know you know she's done so marvelously well. But would I go back and not have to go through that again? Not like, to be honest, I wish she'd never had to go through that. I wish I'd never had to go through that. I now know a whole lot more, and I can help a whole lot more people. But I, you know, I still wouldn't wish that on my worst enemy. Um, it's still a horrific, horrific journey. Um, and so, you, but you take the good out of it regardless because crikey you've paid for it <laughs> your, your Mars will get some benefit or some wisdom or some development and change in yourself uh, when you come out the other side eh? <laughs> that's just it is that I, I worked for Sands um, I worked with Sands which is a stillborn and newborn death support yes. group throughout New Zealand so I, I, um, I took the Rodney group I managed or Looked after, I shouldn't say managed the. Um, looked after the Rodney group, mm-hmm. and you know you can go one of two ways when you lose a child, and it doesn't matter what your station. That's the thing, you know. It could be um, a, a pregnancy that a phantom pregnancy, yep. right up to an infant death. You just people deal with it in a different way, and especially with couples. Depending, because you grieve so differently as a couple. Very rarely do you both grieve in the same way. So it was just trying to get through this with my husband um, and get through the other side. And also, I guess, and and for me personally, is trying to to work through my grief as well. I mean, you go through the suicidal thoughts, you go through the dark, Places you definitely go through that when you lose a child. Well, I, I mean, yeah. I went through that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I know that you can either go up or down, and I have seen it happen. So 
Yeah, and I I, had, I was lucky in the fact that, well, I think I was lucky. I had two kids that needed me. Every time I would have a shit day and I would be down in the dumps, my husband would be at work, life was back to normal. All I wanted to do was crawl under the blanket and, you know, whatever. Yeah. Um, my kids came up and said, Mum, I need lunch. Mum, I need to go to school. What are you doing? So I would, they'd snap me back out of it and I'd have to be a mum. And that was a good thing. So that that helped me. Yeah, for sure. How, how, did you in in, in uh, working with Sands and stuff? You must have seen a lot of relationships actually break under the strain of such a process. There were definitely um, yeah, families that that were, and it wasn't only the couples. You know, yeah. and I experienced the same thing. It's the families, it's the extended families who breathe differently and think that you need something that you don't or they put pressure on you or they, they just don't know how to help yeah. because they haven't been through it. Yeah. And so you see all that. And so I would come in and I would I would say, you know, I see what you're saying. In my experience, now that I've been through it, they were just trying to fill the spot. They were just looking out for you. So, you know, it might be that case. It might be happening for you and you're not seeing that at the moment. But just keep it in mind for later on. It's the Sam's work is just incredible work because yeah. you just have to take your own self out of um, your personal side, out of it, your personal thoughts and advice. And try and just guide them in a real gentle way that is giving your experience rather than saying, hey, you must do this and that. And, you know, you've got couples that that are close to, you know, um, going separate ways, but you just, yeah, have to be really careful with the information you put out because you don't want to be responsible for... No, it's a hell of a a journey and, you know, it must put massive pressure on couples. But let's um. So so from this experience, you decided somewhere along the way to get yourself healthy and to, to pull yourself out of this. And this is where running becomes a big part of your journey. Is that correct? Yes. So I had had Amelia, and I would have been at my my biggest. So I was yeah, um, still nearly 100 kg, and for five foot nothing, that's really not good. No. And, Oh, you know, I could I could tell definitely. So I had Amelia and I was I remember I was sitting on the toilet at Westfield Mall in Albany and I saw this sign in front of me, magical moment. And it had an advert for the it was at the time the Sculpt six K in Auckland in town. Yep. Which is now the sketches six K. And I looked at I had already started lamppost running with the buggy. Wow. And really struggling, but I saw that in front of me. It was in six months' time, and I thought, "That's it. There's my aha moment." And what led to running was really um, the the doctor who delivered Amelia cut through the layers of fat that I was that I had afterwards, not really having a bedside manner or knowing what I'd been through. He said to me, "You've got way too much fat there. You need to do something about it, or you'll die," sort of thing. Um, in, a, in a real horrible uh, wow. manner, which stuck in my brain and uh, it made me to start to do something. And I found that running, though I absolutely hated it, was something that would push my, felt like it pushed my heart rate out the window. Yeah. And afterwards I felt like I had achieved something. Yes, you felt good, the endorphin, endorphin yes. high afterwards. And I had done the gym, I'd done, um, you know, group fitness type things, but it was something that I could do with the buggy, in pro- you know, even though it's out in public, in private sort of thing, I could just go off whenever. Yeah, yeah. yeah. My one lab post, done. And um, so that was, the, that was the starting point wow. of the, um, yeah, Stepping starting back to run. towards yourself and, and starting to take control. And so yeah. then you, you did that six month uh, that six k in in the six month period. I did. I did the six uh, k, and then um, it re- it, you know, I smashed that goal and thought, what's next? Um, and it really was my journey after that because I, I thought I'll do a ten k. But then you, when you're doing it by yourself, sometimes you think, oh, actually, this is getting a bit hard. Should I really do that ten k? 
Yeah. Um, and then I met um, a good girlfriend, Jane Stevenson, and she just by chance um, through through some friends of friends, and she actually ran to the barbecue that we were at. And Jamie's a mad runner. She does, um, you know, multi-day running, and she's just crazy. But I got talking to her, and she would tell me, come on, you can do 10. No sweat. Um, let's train together. So I was very nervous about training with her, of course. Yeah, but, um, yeah. yeah, she, she could run at my pace easily, so that was fine. Um, and, and then it started 10K, and then it was the next one to 21K. Wow. Um, and wow. I met more runners and was surrounded by more inspiration and accountability. Yeah. Marathons, um, and then my first 60K wow. last year. Awesome. That's so amazing. So I look at it like from 6K to 60K in six years. Yeah. And and the weight loss journey along that path, mm. you know, you, you managed to shift all of that weight, basically. Yeah, so I, I ended up losing um, close to now probably 38 kgs. Amazing. Um, and it, believe me, and I tell all my clients, it took – two years it really did yeah and then I, I had to run regularly to keep that off yeah um so it was a really long slow process and even when I was running at um the first marathon was the Gold Coast Marathon I was still um overweight then yeah oh yeah it you know full off well, I I had to eat, start eating properly yeah. you know so it's not only the running it's oh, everything no. else no, it's most definitely not. And, you know, a, a lot of people do have this misconception that if they go for a half an hour run, well then, yeah, I can eat pizza and drink beer and uh, yeah. have half a chocolate cake. Unfortunately, the amount of calories that you burn when you're running, whilst very good at, at helping you maintain, will never you'll never be able to outrun a bad, bad diet. Um even doing ultras, you know, you still got to. And one of the reasons, you know, that I started running, to be honest, way back in the beginning, was that I, I wanted to control my weight too. I had a weight problem when I was um, young, and well, I thought I had a weight problem anyway. Uh, but my weight did go sort of up and down, and I knew that if I didn't control it, and I used running to help manage it, what I found out years later, there was more efficient ways of losing it faster, um, and that running can actually when you're doing the stupid distances that I was doing um actually have an effect on your hormones and it can actually make you you know plateau or or even go the other way a little bit um which is is or that's a, that's a you know subject of another podcast but in in the general sense like it does take years of but that slow weight loss is a controlled weight loss is is a permanent weight loss really then isn't it Marie and you've made a permanent identity shift how did you shift that identity from being the non-athlete the non-sports person overweight mum busy you know to being this person who who runs every day or you know basically most days um and and make that that shift of identity like no I'm a runner you know when did that come at the marathon stage or at the half marathon stage when did that shift sort of that mental identity shift I think, uh, yeah, for me, it definitely came with the longer case. Being out there, putting more into my trainings, doing the hard yards, doing the hard work, um, then I felt like I could really call myself a runner. Yeah. Um, at, at first, it was uh, little, little steps, lamppost running, that sort of thing. But, um, no, I'm, it's, and it's funny you say that because what I love about running is that I'm 42 years old, and I can enter a race and feel like an athlete, even though I'll be in the the back end. Um, it doesn't matter. I get a medal. Yeah. I feel great. I can tell all my friends on Facebook. Uh, I have the shirt. How cool is that? You know, the girl who used to run and hide in the bush across country, at, at you know, over 40 now, I can feel like a – so you're yeah, your I'm an athlete. You, you're, you're at your absolute best at the age of 42. And, you know, I've, I've seen, you know, lots of other girls and, and, and guys as well who've started even later, like in their late 40s and things, 
who've gone on to have their best performances in their 50s or 60s, yes. and, and, and they're still running in their 70s and 80s, you know. Um, yeah. and, and you're still an athlete, and you still think like an athlete, you still act like an athlete, and it's not about, obviously, you and I are never going to win the New York Marathon, but um, <laughs> we don't give a shit, you know. That's yeah. not what it's about. It's about being the best that I can be for me at this stage and reaching my own potential, and, and that's, that's for me, you know, like, when, you, when I'm working with someone, it's reaching that person's potential wherever they are and not, you know, like, we're, none, not, we're not all gifted genetically, but we can all work within the bounds of our genetically, you know, how we're built and how we're made um, and become the best that we can be. And, and that, that wasn't necessarily the 20, your 20-year-old 20 self, which it is in a lot of other sports. You know, if you haven't made it by 20, you're sort of your history, you know. Um, so I came from gymnastics as a young girl and, oh, you want to have some body issues, go and teach your kid gymnastics. Right. <laughs> if you want them to have all sorts of screwed up things. Uh, and, you know, but for them, for me, it was all over, sort of, you know, like 15, 16, you know. Um, and so to, to have a sport where you can still be an athlete at 50 and 60, you know, it doesn't really matter. It's pretty cool, eh? I can't wait. And, and just like you said, you had um, you interviewed another woman before, um, and she she's over fifteen. Yeah. So this one, uh, Heather Heather Hawkins, she just came back from the marathon de Sables literally two weeks ago, I think now, and she's fifty two now. She had cancer and then that shock, and then she decided, oh, I'm going to get into running at the age of forty seven, and started, you know, she did her first four k Mother's Day run, and then ended up doing like seven marathons on seven continents in seven days and marathon de sables and, and trekking through the Himalayas, 1,700 kilometers and a whole lot of crazy stuff, all within five years. <laughs> Insane, you know, like that's, that's, what's, that what's, that's what lies ahead of you too, Marie, you know, like there's no limit, you've done. Well, you know, and maybe not to that level, but, but maybe. You know, as long as we're still, you know, um, Entering events and, and inspiring other women to give it a go as well, and you know, using uh, other women to inspire me like yourself, yeah. and just that's all it's about is you know fulfilling my own little and, dream. And now you're making it so now you've, you've you're making a little business out of this. This is your your new business that you've launched just just months ago, and you're taking a group of ladies through. This journey, basically, what you've been on. So a lot of the girls have, have had similar, or not necessarily, you know, the, the baby journey, but they've had similar weight problems, and and it, they feel encouraged and supported and, and looked after in your running group. Yeah, I mean, I think that we've all got our own story, and um, a lot of the times we connect on things. For instance, you and I. Um, that's how we connected. Um, on that level, and it, and it was amazing. It's awesome because you see these women who lead these great lives, and you think, "Wow, they have everything. It must be so cool to be them." But, you, but you've got to stop and think. There must be some, you know, there's life there. There, there yeah. must be challenges in their life, yeah. um, in their lives. So, what could that be that you, you know, never judge a book by its cover? No. And we naturally do that. It's good just to. And, yeah, and this is the the problem, you know, with the social social media world and stuff. We all present our best, you know, like you say, we've just done a marathon, yeah. we put it on Facebook. I mean, that's what we do, you know, and it's not meant to be at all negative, but it does present to the person who's sitting there with confidence issues, looking at everybody who's who, everybody's doing everything, and I know that that causes a hell of a lot of pressure. And even I know with myself, you know, that I haven't, like in the last two two years looking after mum, I have not had time. And all the energy because it's all gone into her rehabilitation and, and making a living as well. Uh, I haven't had the time. I can't. I haven't had one single time where I could go out for running for four hours. It just isn't possible. Uh, and so that part of me, I've, I've, I've temporarily had to put aside. And you get this FOMO thing, but then you go, yeah, but hey, it's it's just like a mum who's had a baby or whatever. They can't go. They can't do that sort of stuff right now because they've just had the baby or they've pregnant or you know we've all got reasons why it's not happening right now for us um doesn't mean it won't ever happen again um and and it's not letting that outward pressure of you've got to be there 100 percent of the time doing it all the time 
Um, I don't know if you've seen it, but we're seeing a lot of athletes coming through our doors who are both broken and burnt out and overtrained and massive pressure on themselves to be a certain way, to do a certain number of races, to achieve bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. Uh, and, and I know that beast. I've been on that, that road before. Um, and it's trying to get them to go, hang on, hang on, hang on. Your, your body can only cope with this much. You know, let's bring it back. Let's rein it in. Let's pick a couple of big goals and let's work towards those. But let's get your health right first. Um, so, you know, I think there's all, there's all these pressures that are coming on us with, with social media. And it, it's great to have um, people tell real stories and not yes. just the glory stories which, of course, we want to share, but share the other side too, you know, share the, share the reality of, of what you're going through as well. I think it's very important. Yeah, and I think that's where, why um, the page is taken because I do share a lot of my, my personal side. You know, I'm not perfect. I don't script out a lot of what I'm saying. I mean, I try and, um, you know, get to the point yeah. and teach people something. But apart from that, it's it's just me being me, and I stuff up all the time, and um, I'm really new at this, so of course, videoing. But there is there is no there is no magic formula. That's like yeah, you, you, and it's quite hard to get over yourself, isn't it? You know, you're putting out all this content all the time, and I do it all the time as well. And it's like, uh, who's listening to me? You know, who, who gives a damn what I've got to say today? Really, you know, you, you, you've got to go. There is someone out there. And this is what I do. If there's someone, there's one person who needs to hear that, what I have to say today, there's one person who really needs to hear it, and I think about that one person. And I don't care about the 99 others who think I'm talking a lot of crap. It's that one person that I'm speaking to and that I'm going to have an impact in their lives, and that's why I'm doing it today, you know. Um, and if you have that attitude, you get over yourself. It's the same with, with public speaking, and you might be talking in front of a massive great crowd, totally, you know, intimidating or whatever, and you say, no, but there's somebody here who really needs me to that, I don't know who it is, and I talk to that person, I try to find, you know, that person in my head, at least, and and, and, and share things open, openly, and, you know, it's really hard on a, on a public stage to share your open, vulnerable, emotional stuff, but it has so much more impact than the, the, the guys that, you know, the people that get up and just go, yeah, I'm the greatest, and I've done this, and I've done that, you know, that... Yeah, you share the good stuff, but you also share the real stuff, and I think that's uh, super important. Um, okay. Especially baby loss. Oh. Uh, baby loss in New Zealand. Uh, not a lot of people talk about it, so no. that's why Sands was, um, you know, one of the great things about Sands is it, was, it got us talking about baby loss and it not being um, a bad thing. You know, let's talk about our losses and join together and support each other and support other women going through, or families going through a loss. It needs to be talked about so that, it, you know, you've got your, your um, breast cancer and yeah. other cancers and the blind society and places like that, that it's uh, becoming more common yeah. or should be like that for baby loss too because I want to talk about my children who are not here today. I want people to mention their names. I want... Yeah, exposure on, on the topic. Yeah, 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 yeah. And that's, I mean, yeah, yeah we've, we've got a couple of ladies, you know, that are in our group at the moment, and, and they've gone through that journey. And I, I've, I mean, I never had a live birth, but I've lost children. I've been able to have children. It's been a hell of a grieving process in itself. And, yeah, the more we can talk about it, the, the less we're going to do, you know, destructive behaviours and, and turn ourselves in on ourselves and depression, you know, if I can share the pain with other another woman, uh, another person who's who's gone through the similar thing, then, you know, then that halves the pain for a while at least, you know, you can share that, that, that loss and that journey and you know you're not alone, you know, it's so common yeah. now, it's so common no, that women can't no. have children and, uh, you know, for, for a myriad of reasons. Um, and, you know, it's okay. It's okay to talk about it. It's okay to cry about it. It's okay to, you know, but still try and uh, keep positive and move on and, and not let it kill you because that's where it can end. You know, that's the reality is that depression and things from these sort of problems can lead really in a bad, bad downward spiral that can end in people taking their lives or never having any happiness in their lives. And, you know, that's 
that's why talking about things, I know people think often, yeah, everyone's oversharing. Well, too bad. <laughs> yeah, and, and that's why I feel a responsibility being also being put on in this position that I'm in, which I created myself, but I, I do have an audience, so I feel responsible, especially working uh, for SANS, yeah. to prom- to talk about it and to promote SANS and to say, hey, there are support groups out there, and yes, I am in the limelight at the moment, I'm doing a lot of social media and doing videos and that's all fun and all that, but um, I've got a great platform. Yeah, yeah. You know, so it's you yeah. to, to get that word out there Absolutely. and makes it okay. It, it yeah. makes it okay. And I think what you're doing with your group is fantastic. I hope we can join forces in some some way, shape or form in the future and do something together with our, you know, uh, our groups. And, and um, I think, you know, ladies, get in touch, especially if you're in the Auckland area, um, get in touch with Marie if this has resonated with you, with your story, um, and you want to work with someone like Marie, you feel like she's connected with you today, then please, um, where can they get hold of you, Marie? Um, so I'm on the Girls Who Run NZ page, so if you send me yep. a message through there, um, I do have a website, uh, girlswhorunnz.co, uh, girlswhorunnz.co.nz. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I'm there too, so you can get hold of me. But um, also I want to mention uh, Stands New Zealand have their own website as well. Yeah. So if you've experienced any sort of loss and you would like some, some help, then uh, Stands New Zealand have a, have a website. So Google Fantastic. that. Fantastic. Yeah. All right, Marie. Well, thank you so much for sharing so yes. openly your, your um, incredibly difficult and tragic journey. Um, and for being such a strong, strong woman and coming out the other side of it and, and helping others. That's all we can do in life, really, isn't it? Use our experiences to help others. Exactly. Thank you, Lisa. Thanks very much. That's it for this episode of Pushing the Limits with your host, Lisa Tamati. Please don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe and share all this goodness with your networks so we can impact more lives with positive insights and inspiring conversations. And check us out online at www.lisatamati.co.nz.